Well, as we continue our sermon series on prominent women in the Bible, our New Testament text this morning comes from Romans. Uh, Paul's, some uh, scholars call it his magnum opus, uh, his greatest letter. It's his longest letter. It certainly provides a most complete picture and explanation of the gospel to the house churches in Rome. And we turn to the last chapter, Romans 16, verses 1 to 7, that may be found on page 1209 of your road, Red Pew Bible, Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you uh, that you are the God who is always with us, that you make yourself known to us as we turn to your word that you inspired. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would give us clarity of thought, help us to hear your word, that we might have hearts that are transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Romans uh, chapter 16 verses 1 to 7. Listen to God's word. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinius, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, if you were to take time to read all of Romans 16, uh, you would see that well, that Paul drops a lot of names here. There's actually 35 names, not always easy to pronounce because many of the names are Greek and Roman and, of course, Jewish. And when you read this list, sometimes you can feel like, well, gosh, is, is Paul just another name dropper, you know, dropping names to make people think he knows a lot of people, you know, he's well-connected? Not, that's not exactly what Paul's doing because we know that, well, the Apostle Paul was more famous than any of the people he mentions in this list of Romans 16, these 35 names. And as you read through the names, you're going to notice that well, that nine of the names are actually women. Paul is listing Greek, Roman, Jewish men and women, highlighting the fact that, well, he had important relationships with women who, who helped assist him in the ministry of God's kingdom. In fact, he commends to us in this first uh, few verses the, the deaconess, Phoebe. There are three women I want to look at this morning within this list of uh, seven verses. In fact, in the seven verses, you may have noticed there were seven names Four of them are women. The three I want to look at, though, specifically are, are Phoebe, and then Pris Prisca, or that's short for Priscilla, and then Junia. Let's begin with Phoebe. Looking again at Romans 16, 1-2, we read these words. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria. Now, if you go to the original Greek, you're going to see that the, well, the Greek word there for um, 
uh, uh, servant is actually diaconus, diaconus. And uh, you can sometimes translate that as deacon. In fact, in the uh, New Revised Standard Version, it says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sancria. Diaconus can be translated as servant, deacon, or even minister. Now, scholars who believe that the word should be translated as deacon here uh, argue that, well, there's another word for servant that Paul could have used. It's called doulas. In fact, he uses the word doulas to describe himself in the very first verse of Romans, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a doulas, a servant of Christ Jesus. But as he commends Phoebe in Romans 16, verse 1, he doesn't call her a doulas. He calls her a diaconess. A diaconess. And if you think about it just for a moment, he's trying to commend her or recommend her to the church in Rome. They don't know her. This is a letter of recommendation. It's giving her credibility as she comes to Rome carrying this letter that Paul has written. He's commending her as a diaconess, which would be a more prominent role than simply a doulas. So most scholars believe uh, that she was probably a deacon, a deacon of the church of Sancria, which makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because what did deacons do? If you look at Acts, 6, Acts chapter 6, you'll see that the office of deacon is created, and Stephen's one of the first deacons. And what do the deacons do? The deacons were focused on ministering to the needs of the community, distributing food as those who had need, ministering specifically often to widows and orphans. And it would make sense that the church would have a, a woman to help minister to these widows and orphans. And so many scholars believe that this word uh, diaconist should not just simply be translated as, as a servant, but rather a deacon, a deacon of the church in Sancria, that you may welcome her, the Lord, away worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. What does it mean that she was a patron? Well, she was one who, who gave, who gave to help the search, her home church in Sancria, but also help gave, give to the apostle Paul so that he might have the resources he needs to do the ministry that God was calling him to. Just as Mary Magdalene, as we looked last week, and if you missed last week's sermon, you can go back and find that online. But Mary Magdalene was one who, who was delivered from demons. She was grateful for uh, the deliverance that Jesus had given to her. And so in her gratitude, she gave. As many women gave to the ministry of Jesus, they gave their finances. They, they gave their talents and their treasures to help Jesus do the work of his kingdom. And now Phoebe is giving to Paul and to the church of Sancria to help them do the work God is calling them to. His Phoebe was a significant, prominent ministry partner of the Apostle Paul's. And the fact that he allows her to deliver the letter to the house church in Rome shows the amount of confidence that he has in her, the faith that he has in her, the, 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 the close partnership that they had, that he would allow her to be the one to deliver the letter to the house churches in Rome. Paul's magnum opus, his, his greatest work, right? His, his greatest writing. And as was the tradition, when someone would deliver a letter on behalf of another person, they would often read that letter. It's not unfeasible that Phoebe not only delivered it, but she read Paul's letter, Romans Chapter 1 to 16, all of it to the house churches in Rome. Yes, Phoebe was a significant partner who used her, her resources to help provide for the church in Sincrea. She used her spiritual gifts of service to help serve the church there in Sincrea. And she was one who was willing to proclaim the gospel by delivering this letter that Paul had written and to most likely read it as well. You know, Phoebe... 
she would have fit right in our denomination. Because our denomination has as one of its values, its core values, egalitarian ministry. We believe that we should unleash the spiritual gifts of both men and women to use the spiritual gifts that God has given them to help partner together to do the work of God's kingdom. We read about this in our Essential Tenets, uh, page 7 of the Essential Tenets, and I'll read it here. The ministries of the church reflect the threefold office of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, reflecting the church's ordered ministries of teaching, elders, deacons, and ruling elders. Janice is a ruling elder. I'm a teaching elder. Uh, We affirm that men and women alike are called to the ministries of the church and that every member is called to share in all of Christ's offices within the world beyond the church. Every Christian is called to be a prophetic life, proclaiming the good news to the world and enacting that good news. Every Christian is called to extend the lordship of Christ to every corner of the world. And every Christian is called to participate in Christ's priestly, meditorial work, sharing the suffering of the world in ways that extend God's blessing and offering intercession to God on behalf of the world. We are equipped to share in these offices by the Holy Spirit, who conforms us to the pattern of Christ's life. Phoebe was using the spiritual gifts that God had given to her, the gifts of service, the gifts of giving, uh, to help do the work of God's kingdom. We believe that everyone has been given different spiritual gifts. As we looked at Romans 12, you remember back in June, Andrew Amstutz preached on that text, and we talked about all of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have different gifts, and regardless of your gender, we want you to use your gifts to help do the work of God's kingdom, because we know that we're better when we work together. Yes, he commends Phoebe, and then notice that he greets Prisca and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the churches in their house. Now, Prisca is short for Priscilla. And if you go to Acts 18, you can get a more complete story of the significant role that Priscilla and Aquila played in the life of the earliest church. They were a husband and wife couple that were really a power couple within the first century church. For they helped uh, lead the church in Corinth. Then they went with Paul and helped lead the church in Ephesus. And now they're in Rome helping lead the church as they're hosting the church in their own house using their spiritual gifts of hospitality. But we also know from Acts 18 that they also had the gift of teaching because we're told the story that while they were in Corinth, they hear Apollos, who's a very gifted preacher. He's mentioned in 1 Corinthians. He's preaching boldly, proclaiming God's word, but incompletely. He doesn't have a full understanding of the role that the Holy Spirit is now called to play in in the life of Christians today. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they pull Apollos aside and they they give him a more complete understanding of the gospel. Yes, Priscilla and Aquila were were a power couple using their gifts and ministry together, hosting the church in Rome, helping lead and teach the church in Corinth and in Ephesus, doing all that they could to help do the work of God's kingdom, recognizing that working together, they would be even better. In fact, it's interesting, uh, the times that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, there's six times that they're mentioned together uh, in the New Testament, and every time they're mentioned together, actually not every time, but four of the six times, four of the six times that they're mentioned in the New Testament, Priscilla is always mentioned first. Now that's unusual in the first century, which was a patriarchal society. Normally in the first century, I know here in the South, it's like ladies first, right? Not so much in the first century Greco-Roman world. It was men first, right? And so normally the husband would be mentioned first. But scholars believe that Priscilla is mentioned most often before Aquila, four out of the six times, because she was probably the more outspoken, 
Maybe the more visible member. Maybe her husband was an introvert and she was the extrovert. But together they were helping do God's work together. Yes, they were a powerful couple using their gifts of service, their gifts of uh, hospitality, the gifts of teaching. As Phoebe used her gifts of service and her gifts of giving. What are your gifts? What spiritual gifts has God given you? And just as importantly, who are you partnering with to help do those, to use those gifts? Because we're not called to use our gifts in isolation. We're called to partner just as Phoebe partnered with Paul. She was single, he was single, but they partnered together to minister to Sancria, that church there, which is just seven miles or eight miles east of Corinth. So they were obviously good friends working together. Priscilla and Aquila were a husband and wife working together, using their gifts in ministry together. What are your spiritual gifts? Who is God calling to you to partner with? Do you know the spiritual gifts of your spouse? Can you easily identify them? Are you working together to help do the work of God's kingdom? Do you know the gift of your neighbors? How you might partner with them to help do the work of God's kingdom? Because the main message that Paul is trying to bring to Romans 16 is that we're better when we work together. Just as Phoebe worked with Paul, Priscilla worked with Aquila, and as we continue looking, we'll see Adronicus worked with Junia. We read in verse 7, Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Now, I I had to actually read 14 commentaries, which is a lot of commentaries, to understand how to translate verse 7. Because there's lots of different ways to translate verse 7. It comes down to the way you translate one word in verse 7. There's a a little conjunction word, N-E-N. It can mean in, it can mean among, or it can mean uh, to. And what's interesting is uh, the New Revised Standard Version translates uh, Romans 16, verse 7 this way. They are prominent among the apostles. So they chose to translate N as among. Uh, the New American Standard Version of the Bible, which is probably the most literal word-for-word translation of the Bible. It's not always easy to read, but it's certainly the most literal translation. Right? translates this way. Who are, who are outstanding among the apostles? Again, they chose to tra- translate that word N as among. But the ESV, which we use in our pew Bibles, which is a great translation, it reads very easily, chose to translate that as known to the apostles. Well, if... Junia and Andronicus are outstanding among the apostles, then that means Junia and Andronicus are apostles. Is that possible? I thought there were only 12 apostles, right? We talked about that back in Acts chapter 1. Well, it's interesting. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we get a sense of how Paul uses the word uh, apostles, and he usually uses the word apostles. Now, it's true the Greek word for apostle can be messenger, or one who is sent, and so it can be used as a general term. But usually when Paul uses the word apostle, he's talking about people who have, who have literally seen the risen Jesus and have com- been commissioned by Jesus to go and proclaim that gospel. So looking again at 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 3 to 11, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. He gives the gospel that he preached. He says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. There's that Greek word, apostello, apostles. Then he appeared to the apostles. Last of all, 
As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Notice that Paul says he's the least of the apostles, he's the last of the apostles, because Jesus appeared to him last on the road to Damascus. But also notice that it says that, there were, that Jesus appeared not just to the 12, but he also appeared to 500 at one time. And scholars believe that probably Adronicus and Junia were there when Jesus appeared to the 500. And, and they were part of that 500. And so then they saw the risen Jesus, which is a requirement for an apostle. They had seen the resurrected Jesus, and they had been commissioned or sent out as messengers to preach the gospel. And regardless of how you want to understand that uh, description, descriptive word of Junia as an apostle or as a, simply a messenger, the point is that they were bold in their faith. They were bold in their faith because ultimately they got arrested, as Paul said. Read again verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They'd been in prison, most likely with Paul. Not because they were passive, quiet apostles, but like most apostles, guided by the Holy Spirit, they were bold witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, passive, quiet apostles don't get arrested. Only bold people are willing to proclaim the good news, as we saw Mary Magdalene, proclaim the good news that Christ is risen. Jesus empowered Mary Magdalene to preach that message. It's clear that the Holy Spirit after encountering the risen Jesus, Andronicus and Junia were empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach that same message. And so they did faithfully, boldly, as a witness of Christ. Are we as bold as Andronicus and Junia are today? Now, I know in the United States, we, we, we won't get arrested for preaching the gospel, at least not yet, right? We're okay still today. But, you know, we have this religious freedom as a part of our Bill of Rights, which is great. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, which is a great thing. But are we taking advantage of that freedom? Are we doing all that we can to preach the good news? You know, it's interesting to me, if you go to certain countries, you can't evangelize, you can't preach openly. But what's really interesting to me is that here in Amarillo, Texas, we have the highest percentage of refugees in the state of Texas per capita than any other city. We are a city where people from all over the world are being sent, like from Iraq and, and Burma and Vietnam, Countries where you can't necessarily preach the gospel boldly, but now they're here in our city as they move here as refugees, and we can preach, we can share the good news of God's love. There is every opportunity we have in the United States to, to be that bold witness. When was the last time you preached the gospel, shared the gospel with somebody? Do people know that you're a witness, not just by what you do, but by what you say? You know, now this last week I was thinking about it myself, and uh, frankly, I spent most of my time with you guys this week, so I didn't hang out with many non-Christians, right? It was hard to hang out with non-Christians when you're working at church. But my wife and I did go to dinner uh, Thursday evening, and we had, a, we had a waitress, and we were certainly kind to her, encouraged her. We, we prayed before we ate our meal, and then I, I left what we have. And in fact, we've got some in the back table. There are these little uh, invite cards to our church. Of course, I tipped well. I didn't want to be like cheap, not tip well, and then say, hey, come to First Pres, then they think we're cheap, right? So they know we're a generous church, at least by the way that I tipped uh, on Thursday night. But the point is, we have so many great opportunities to, to share the gospel, to invite others to join us to hear that good news. And, and if you're not feeling like, well, I don't really know what I would say, bring them here. 
I'll tell them the gospel. We preach it every Sunday, just as Paul preached, you know, that, that Jesus Christ, who was without sin, fulfilled the scriptures by becoming sin for us when he died as the perfect sacrifice on a cross for all of our sins so that our sins might be atoned for, as Murray pointed out earlier. Our sins have been atoned for once and for all. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might know with full assurance that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven, that we have the assurance of eternal life if we'll simply turn to him in faith. When was the last time you shared that good news or invited someone to come here to hear that good news. Of course, in our postmodern world, when we think about sharing the good news, one of the most effective ways we can share the good news is by, is by telling them our story of how Jesus has changed our life. Because no one can deny your personal testimony. In a postmodern world where truth is relative and it's based on one's personal experience, that is where paramount truth is supposed to be discovered. So if you can talk about how Jesus has changed your life or the role that Jesus has played in your life, no one can deny your personal experience. But before I share my experience with someone, before I tell them my story, I want to hear their story. As I shared uh, last Sunday, while we were hung up in the Amarillo Rick Husband Airport for two hours because we couldn't fly to Dallas, you know, I sat with a young man, Caleb, we kind of got to talking, and I focused on hearing his story. What was his church background? What is his current faith walk like today? And then I began to tell him my story and about our church. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And one of the best ways we can communicate that we care about another person is by listening, asking them questions. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How'd you meet your spouse? Where do you work? What do you like to do? Get to hear their stories, their interests, and then as you ask them, they will naturally, socially, ask you your story. And of course, Jesus is central to all of our stories. Yes, we can learn a lot from Phoebe. Phoebe was a woman who used her, her spiritual gifts of service and her gifts of giving to help support and lead the church in Sincrea as a deaconess. We can learn a lot from, from Priscilla and Aquila, a powerful couple who, who partnered together, who used their gifts of hospitality and their gifts of teaching together to help make disciples, first in Corinth, then in Ephesus, and now, as you read, in Rome. And we can learn a lot from Andronicus and Junia, who were apostles, who, who were bold in their proclamation, who were, who, were, who were eager to share the good news of others, of Jesus Christ, so eager that they even got arrested for their witness, for their faith in Christ. Yes, we can learn a lot from Junia, an apostle, Phoebe, a deacon, and Priscilla, and Aquila. Now, I recognize that uh, not every scholar, because I read 14 commentaries, not every scholar wants to translate uh, the word diaconess as, uh, as, as deacon. They, they translate that word as, uh, as servant instead because they, they, for whatever reason, they choose, chose that. I, I think it's the word deacon because if he wanted to just describe her as a servant, he would have used the word he used early in Romans 1, verse 1, doulas. And I'm not alone in that opinion. Uh, N.T. Wright, Chuck Swindoll, Ben Witherington. Now I'm dropping names, right? Not good, right? But, but a lot of other scholars think the same way, that really that's probably the best way to, 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 to uh, translate that word, uh, diaconus. But it's interesting, as I was looking at different commentaries, I came across uh, some of the writings of some of the earliest church fathers. And the Archbishop of Constantinople, John Christostom, writes this. 
Note how many ways Paul dignifies Phoebe. He mentions her before all the rest and even calls her his sister. It's not a small thing to be called the sister of Paul. Moreover, he has mentioned her rank of deaconess as well. Now, John Chrysostom's Greek, as one who lived in Constantinople his whole life, his Greek was way better than mine. It was better than N.T. Wright's. It was better than even Chuck Swindoll's. I mean, his Greek was amazing, right? So if, if he knew how to translate that word, I, if anyone did, I, I think it would be him. And what's interesting, all the scholars that I read, all 14 of them agreed that Priscilla and Aquila were a powerful ministry couple who, who obviously together used their gifts of teaching to help teach Apollos in Acts uh, 18, who used their gifts of hospitality together to help host the house church in Rome. But not every one of the scholars would agree that Junia was an apostle. In fact, there's a little bit of discussion about that. But again, I go to John Chrysostom who writes this. Think what great praise it was to be considered of note among the apostles. These two were of note because of their works and their achievements. He's talking about Junia and Adronicus. Think how great the devotion of this woman, Junia, must have been that she would be worthy to be called an apostle. But even here, Paul does not stop his praise, for they were Christians before he was. Interesting that a fourth century bishop in the church in Constantinople would recognize that Junia was an apostle even before Paul was an apostle as he translates or as he describes that text. Now I know that our denomination, ECO, is not in full agreement with every denomination out there. But I think we can make uh, too much of certain translations or certain ways to look at certain things and we can, we can create division, which is the whole reason that Paul writes Romans 16 is to bring unity, not division. I mean, you can see, I've just shown you these ways to translate these different words, and that's why probably we have so many different denominations, right? Because we feel like we've got a church a certain way, and we've got to have certain types of people in certain positions of, of authority within a church as we interpret the text of Scripture. But if we focus on that, we miss the message of Romans 16. We really miss the message of Romans altogether. Because Paul writes to the house churches in Rome, house churches, not one church, but several house churches that were being led and filled with, well, with Greeks and Romans and Jews, Jew and Gentile, where there was conflict and tension among slave and free, male and female. And the reason that Paul lists so many different names, Greek, Roman, Jewish, male, female, slave, free, is because he wants us to see that we're better together. That if we will work together and collaborate together, then we will be a witness of the powerful reconciling work of Christ, the reconciling message of the gospel. That's why we as a church partner with First Baptist Church and Polk Street United Methodist Church and Central Church of Christ, and we don't agree on every way to translate the text or how to do baptism or who and whom shouldn't be in roles of leadership, but we recognize that the focus of the gospel is about what Jesus has done for us and that we were called to make disciples, not Presbyterians, not Baptists, not Methodists. We're called to make disciples of Jesus. And we can do that best if we stay focused on the central message of Christ, which is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we recognize that, well, that we're better if we work together. 
that using our spiritual gifts, if we will partner with others, whether they be male or female, if we'll work together with others, then we'll be able to be a witness of the reconciling love of Christ. Earlier I asked you, what are your spiritual gifts? How are you using those gifts? And whom are you partnering with? If you're a husband and, and wife, you know, make sure, have a conversation after church today about recognizing what each other's gifts are and, and talk about what is your ministry that God's calling you to. Or if you're single, like Phoebe appeared to be and, and the Apostle Paul was and Jesus was, pray about how God might use your gifts and whom you might partner with. And maybe talk to a member of our church and say, hey, I'm thinking about starting this ministry or getting involved in this, you know, and have some accountability, knowing that we need to be working together because the overall message of Romans 16 is that we are better when we work together. Regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of our socioeconomic status. For as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28, he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. We would say rich or poor today. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you remember in John 17, when Jesus prays for all of us who will believe through the testimony of disciples, do you remember what he prayed for? Jesus doesn't pray for our health, wealth, or our prosperity. Jesus prays for our unity, knowing that our unity will point to his divinity. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that as we look at these prominent partners of Jesus, these three women specifically, how you called them to use their gifts in ministry, Lord, whether it be as a, a deacon like Phoebe was or an apostle like Junia was, Lord, or just as a, a wonderful, loving spouse as Priscilla was working with her husband Aquila, we can see that through this list of names and through these people, we are better when we work together, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status, you have gifted each one of us with different spiritual gifts and you want us to use our gifts together so we might point others to the reconciling love of Christ, that we might be a, a faithful witness of your great love. Oh God, guide us as we might partner with others to the glory of your name. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen.